Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Thank you for tuning in to Screaming from the Sidelines here on Believe, presented by BetOnline.ag. We're taking the show back today to where we started at the end of last summer with the return of women's basketball. The WNBA season tips off tomorrow night. By the time this episode comes out and you're listening to it, it probably tips off like tonight, like in a few hours. (laughs) And I'm obviously not doing this one alone because the person who is beside me is a writer, a host, a storyteller. I'm talking about the Pac-12 Network. Uh, I'm talking about Jordan. I'm talking about the Women's Sports Network. And now the co-host of the Queens of the Court podcast with Hall of Famer and four-time WNBA champion, Cheryl Swoops. So, of course, I am talking about Jordan Robinson. I am so excited to have you here, and I'm really looking forward to this new season tipping off tomorrow. I'm so excited to be here. Anytime I could talk about the WNBA, I can't wait. I'm literally counting down the hours until tip-off happens. Um, So to say I'm excited is kind of an understatement. (laughs) Fortunately for you, you don't have to count down that many more hours at all. We are getting there and we're getting there fast. Uh, Jordan is also a fellow type 1 diabetic. I just got to put that out there early in the episode so uh that's my favorite fact about you and uh you know it (laughs) means a lot to me and many of the people who are gonna tune into this one to see a fellow type one kicking ass in the real world so uh we we can get into some of that a little bit later uh you know do want to do want to take advantage of the basketball window that we have here and it's uh the 27th season of the WNBA and before we get into any of that I just want to give you a chance to promote the very new Odyssey original Queens of the Court. Yes, I um, can't believe that I get paid actual dollar bills to talk to Hall of Famer Cheryl Swoops about the WNBA. It is a dream job, dream opportunity. And, you know, we started this podcast because we felt like there's a need. There's a need to really be able to have a space where We can constantly talk and break down the X's and O's of the WNBA instead of just talking about it when, you know, there's a scandal going on or when something bad happens. And that's kind of the only time that we see it really circulate on main media. But these are hoopers like the WNBA is full of true ballers. So to be able to talk about them and and um, be able to break down their game with someone who is a four-time WNBA champion, a Hall of Famer, um, Olympic gold medalist who really knows the game is kind of surreal every time that we record an episode. But the feedback, I think, is my favorite part of people just excited that there are more um, ways to kind of create community, you know, outside of WNBA Twitter. That's kind of where the WNBA community lives is on Twitter. So we wanted to be able to bring that out into a podcast format. And so far, it's been amazing. I think that getting anything outside of the community of Twitter is probably a positive given uh, the toxicity levels all around that (laughs) platform. So, (laughs) yes, no. Yeah, that's great. Uh, You know, Queens of the Court, you guys can go check that out. They got lots of episodes already and they're going to keep on coming. So I've listened to the last couple. I've been doing tons and tons of driving and commuting lately. So it's always good to add another thing to the checklist and Uh, I mean, as far as women's basketball goes, I think last season was really the first one I committed myself to really getting invested in it, and I had a Mm -hmm. great time. I was able to go to a playoff game in Seattle against uh, the Mystics in the first round, and because of that summer window when there's not a whole lot else going on, I think it's the perfect time to really take advantage of it. I mean, sure, you might miss the first month of action when it's overlapping with NBA playoffs. Uh, Right now we got Eastern Conference Finals and the finals are coming up. Go Nuggets and Heat. Uh, Oh, gosh. (laughs) Who let me on this podcast knowing that I'm a Lakers fan? Come on. Oh, I'm a I'm a sad Warriors fan, so I have I can't even trash talk you at all. Um, 
No, that's that's fair. But uh, hey, <laughs> honestly though, the Lakers, like given where you guys were at in February, you can't really uh, can't be sad about too much, regardless of how this one goes. I'm not sad at all. We're gonna win yeah. it all. That's our delusion of Lakers fans. We it's championship or nothing. So that's what we're going for. I appreciate you using the word delusion. Uh, it makes me <laughs> makes me feel a little bit less depressed in the moment. But no, it's okay. I think we can probably agree that on the scale of basketball fans, we're both a bunch of spoiled brats uh, with the way yeah. things have gone over recent history. So uh, we'll move past that. You know, <laughs> I I know that this is kind of an ironic place to unpack the WNBA because you just told me moments ago that. You don't want discussing the league to only be about scandals and bad things or any kind of mm -hmm. criticism. But unfortunately, this week we did have news about the Las Vegas Aces getting punished. Uh, Becky Hammond's going to be suspended a couple of games without pay. And all of this comes in the aftermath of contract negotiations with Tierica Hamby, who was also dealing with a pregnancy at the time. And things just got a little bit messy. Uh, I know you and Cheryl discuss this one in depth on your most recent episode, but uh, I don't really want to just treat this like it should be something that's blown over and not important. So uh, I just want to give you a chance to kind of echo some of your thoughts on this whole unfortunate matter. Yeah, it is unfortunate because, you know, Dierica Hamby, who had a wonderful blessing of being able to uh, be pregnant and bring her second baby into the world felt like she was discriminated against. She understood in um, her original statement that she released on Instagram in January that, you know, being traded is a part of the game. She understood that part that, you know, players get traded all the time. But what she couldn't understand and wrap her head around was the lies that she was told and kind of she felt bullied around being pregnant and after signing her contract suspension, she was accused of being pregnant on purpose after she signed and all of these wild accusations that one, I don't think she would make up or lie about. Um, so I'm really happy that the WNBA did do an investigation into the Las Vegas Aces around her comments. And the WNBPA was really having her back of just you know, there, she has rights as a pregnant woman and, and a part of her contract and all of these things that uh, the CBA has been trying to do to protect pregnant players as they are trying to grow their families and that they don't have to worry about a roster spot or being traded or having to uproot their lives as they are trying to bring another life into the world. So Dierica felt like she was kind of slighted at, at that moment. And she was told that, um, you know, the Aces needed able bodies and that um, they needed more people. And that's why she was traded. But the timing doesn't really seem to add up. And I think that's what all of us as fans were really in an uproar about because it, it happens often in the WNBA as these women are wanting to grow their families. And so not all of them are being traded. Why was this specific case the one um, that we're spotlighting, it's because she was traded as soon as she announced her pregnancy. So the investigation was held by the WNBA. It was 33 interviews of players and, um, you know, executives around the ACES organization. And they came to their findings that Hammond was the one that said these comments. We don't know exactly what she said verbatim. Hammond has denied it. The ACES have denied it. Um, they've said that, you know, they stand by Becky Hammond and, and that she's continuing to lead this team. No current Aces players have come out to say anything specifically. It's just been a lot of statements thrown left and right of we didn't do this. You did this. Um, but I, I think what's unfortunate and why I'm so disappointed in the Aces for this happening is because this is a league that is centered around women and it is focused around uplifting women. That is why we cheer for this league. So if this league is having issues of working moms and not being able to, you know, um, give them their due diligence and be able to secure their spot, then I feel like I'm losing hope around for any other workplace environment if this is happening here. 
So I, I think we're all just kind of trying to put the pieces together. But I think the most important thing is that Dierica Hamby's son, Legend, is healthy. Dierica is healthy. And she is back playing basketball eight weeks postpartum, which is insane. Right. And I know this was something that you and Cheryl brought up together, which is that you hope Dierica being back on the court is a sign of her actually being healthy and not feeling some kind of external pressure from yeah. the downfall of this whole investigation. So it is unfortunate. I don't think it's, uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's a very rare thing that we have a lot of statement, statement. He said, she said, uh, just kind of refutation of each other in sports. I mean, it's pretty common for any kind of scandal or investigation. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I love the aces. I, I found myself uh, typically when I like to root for underdogs, I actually was kind of going for the aces all last playoffs because I love the way they played. And I thought Becky Hammond's done an amazing job. So it's unfortunate to see this happen. And uh, I hope that it can just kind of can get moved past. And, you know, like yeah. you said, Dierica Hamby's son is healthy and uh, she is healthy and is going to get back to the court. So not much to do other than move forward at this point, but uh, not a fun way to start the season for sure. So no, we'll get no, into no. Uh, some more of the, I don't know if I want to say necessarily positive, but at least more basketball related things. I mean, that is why mm-hmm. we're talking about the WNBA is because they're hoopers, they're ballers, and we want to talk about the game. So we got a few rule changes, which uh, I know that's also something you and Cheryl have broken down and uh, some of it is adopted from the NBA and, you know, a few key differences heading into the 2023 season. Uh, the first one would just be the coaches challenge. You know, teams are allowed a challenge per game, which uh, includes the overtime period. So you got to kind of hedge for that if it's a close game and uh, regardless of whether the challenge is successful or not. Now, one thing I take issue with, and not just for this, but same goes for the WNBA is, do you feel like teams should get their challenge back if they're correct? Yes. Yes. That is a no-brainer to me. You should be rewarded if you challenge correctly. You should be able to get it back because then there's strategy. You can throw a challenge in in the first half, then you get it back in the second half. And it's like, I don't know. I just think if you are if you are right and you uh, feel validated that you are correct in throwing this challenge, then the referees were wrong, which means they're going to be wrong again, more than likely than not in that same game. So you should be able to challenge them again. I will couldn't live agree and more. die on that hill. No, couldn't agree more. Uh, I think maybe the only argument against it is more reviews, is slowing down the game, and it breaks up momentum. But look, it's the referee's job to make the call that they think is right, and they got to own it if they're wrong. And I think if you got to get challenged on it and you're correct, why should you get punished for that and not having a challenge later? And I went to a Warriors-Pelicans game uh, back in, I want to say, February or March, Um Maybe it was actually early April. I don't know. I can't keep track of time anymore. But the point (laughs) is, uh, the Warriors had to use a challenge in the late third or early fourth on something that was just so blatantly obvious. And I got into this argument with another Warriors fan because I said, I hate that we have to use our challenge on this. Uh, And the guy was, I don't think he fully understood exactly what I was saying. But my point was, no, we're going to win the challenge. It's not that it's wrong, but... Right. What about in a close game when Draymond Green gets his fifth foul or they, you know, just something that's going to be way more important and have bigger implications. I don't yep. like that you're punishing yourselves by thinking, okay, no, I'm going to hold on to this precious uh, little card I have that I can play once because I'm probably going to need it. And then when the refs make a bad call, then all that's going to do as a coaching staff is have, make you have less faith in them to do the same thing in the fourth quarter. So oh, why yeah. would you not hold on to it? I, I don't get it, um, but I'm glad that it exists as opposed to no coaches challenge at all. That is true. And I think that there could be a limit because now that you're, you are saying that with the multiple reviews, we're not saying you get 10 challenges a game. No, but even if it's one per half, like even if it's three max, like that's still to me, they're doing those reviews anyway if you have a challenge and you're able to save it or reuse it, then I, hey, and I think there should be stats 
based on coaches, how successful they are on their challenges. I'm pretty sure that is somewhere in the in statistical land. <laughs> I tried looking deep into that in the NBA season because I was curious about it, and it was actually way harder to find than <laughs> I thought it would be. So uh, all you analytics crew, stat crew, like analytics get used on the most ridiculous things. Like I know. I Let's cannot stand. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I can't stand win probability. It's like, no, you either win or you don't. Let's actually mark down the challenge success rate. I think that's a better thing. So uh, I'd even go as far as to say this. I think two max is okay. If you can just yeah. get one challenge back, that still makes a massive difference. So Way better. We'll see how it goes. It's going to be yeah. a trial year. That's how it goes with any rule change. And uh, another rule change is the bench players rule, which kind of a weird one, but players not in the game cannot remain standing at or away from their team's bench during a game for a prolonged period. So basically they're prohibited from distracting their po opponents in an unsportsmanlike manner, whatever that, whatever yeah, that means. Arbitrary. Oh my I, gosh. It, I, I highly, highly doubt they are going to enforce this. They might do it like the first three games, but after that, I, I don't like. That's a huge part of the game. I, for one, you know, in college, I was not the star player. I was the star on the bench. I was making sure we had cheers. I was making sure we were standing up and clapping. All of that is is giving the your team momentum and giving them energy. So if you just have to sit there and watch, like I think it's really going to affect the players on the court just as much as it's going to affect the players on the bench. This is a weird rule. I think people are going to fight fight for it, fight against it. I, I don't see it lasting long. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping and predicting that this is a one and done for sure. And it's great to hear your perspective as someone who played and someone who hosts a podcast with one of the great players in yes. our game. So yeah, and it's I think not only does it impact the players, I think it worsens the product, to be honest, with just limiting people's involvement. I think the best teams you see are the ones with a really cohesive culture where everybody embraces their role. And sometimes mm -hmm. if your role is to come in and give an 11 minute spurt and just be good energy on and off the court, I think that's a big deal and it goes a long way. So I think this is a challenge for coaches to navigate too when you're managing a lot of personalities yeah. and you got 12 teams in a league that probably could use more with the amount of talent there is out there. And we can get to that a little later too. So, uh, I don't like it personally. I think it's it just it's not good for role players, especially, and it's not good for coaching staff. So I don't know. We'll see how they actually enforce it. That's a great mm -hmm. point you bring up because yeah, I don't see it really being enforced like at all. It is certainly one of the weirder rules. And then the fact that Natasha Cloud came out and yes. said she was not a fan of it, like I think that just took my bias to new heights because she's already <laughs> she's already one of my favorite players. So I'm like, oh, well, Natasha Cloud hates it. So I hate it, too. So I hate it. Automatic. She said, start the GoFundMe because she already knows she's getting fine. She knows herself. And I, I love that about her. <laughs> no, she is awesome. Uh, and then, oh, last rule. That's a big one. And I have a feeling that we're both just going to not have to discuss this one in depth because we're both going to like it is the transition take foul. So you can't just foul people to stop a fast break. You get a foul and then the other team gets a free throw and possession. I loved when the NBA did this because it loved. drove me crazy. And especially for good players, like why are you using one of your precious I mean, it's six, but really five fouls because that's the amount you can afford while being able to stay on the court. Why are you using a precious foul to stop a fast break? I despised it. I love this I punishment. It. I hated it. I hated it. It's probably the only time I will truly be a Stan Van Gundy fan. It's because every single time he called a game and a take foul happened in the NBA, he despised it. He said they he he really uh, lobbied for the rule change to happen because it was such a killer of momentum. Why are you why are you taking a foul when you know you're going to need them later? Why are, you know, superstars taking fouls? I hated it. And then I hated to see it trickle down into the WNBA. I feel like 
that would happen so much in the NBA that now college did it. Now the WNBA did it. Now you see it in even high school, AAU, like everyone's just doing it because it's a cop out. Get back and play defense. No, like you should be punished if you are not wanting to get back and play defense. And so I love this rule change. So happy. Yes, this is one that gets my vote. It's good to see the WNBA take after some of these NBA rule changes and see how they've been implemented. I think the challenge rule is a big deal, even if we think they can take it a step further. And I'll tell you one thing about college basketball that women's basketball does 10 times better than men's. And yes, I know part of it is because of the format of quarters now, as opposed to two halves, advancing the ball off a timeout. It should be allowed every single time. That is one area where women's basketball on the college level kicks ass compared to men's. Mm -hmm. And we have to talk about the quarters. Like men's college basketball, it's time to grow up. You can have quarters now. You could put your big boy pants on. Like it's okay. The halves are, are, we can bury those. Like it's time. And it's bizarre that they have not moved over to quarters yet. (laughs) I do. Okay. I don't want to get too off topic, but I actually do have one question for you in regards to moving to quarters because Mm -hmm. so in the NBA and I same with women's college, I believe there's no one in ones on the free throw bonus because it resets every quarter as Mm -hmm. opposed to being in the half. I think that one in one opportunities at the line is such an important wrinkle in the NCAA tournament, especially Mm -hmm. when it's a high pressure situation. So do you think that if they went to quarters and every bonus was a two shot, do you think that takes away a suspense and excitement factor in these single elimination games? No, because you got to make your free throws regardless. It is suspense, but if it's two free throws, like that's a huge deal. And if you make the first one, miss the first one you still get another chance so I I don't think so I think it's a real um it it is a part of the game especially when you're growing up playing you know basketball that was a really big part one and one but we're we're growing up now like it's it's time especially if you want to play at the next level you need to be able to to practice that it's a different pace it's a entirely different style of play when you have halves my college career I feel like my sophomore year is when we moved to quarters we kind of had to change how we did everything based off of halves to quarters so I I think it's time I think it would make the game faster and I think it's setting those you know men's college basketball players up for if they want to play at the next level or if they want to play overseas do you also feel like six fouls instead of five would be beneficial in college? Yeah. No. Okay. That's interesting. See, the only reason I would push back on that is because when you get a weird refing crew in a single elimination <laughs> game, I feel like it can just jack up a team so much. But it's a part yeah. of the game. It's, it's a, a part, part of, of it. Yeah. Yeah. All it's right. a part of it. Six fouls is totally a pro thing. It's just like, we just want you on the court. Can you stop fouling, please? We, we're really trying not to kick you out this game. <laughs> yeah, that's. I guess that's fair. Well, back to the, back to the WNBA. It was kind of a big off season compared to a lot of past off seasons, and I think part of that is the way that the game has grown, and part of that is that free agency is a pretty new thing in WNBA basketball, and we kind of have the forming of two super teams or whatever label that you want to use for it. But the Aces added Candace Parker, who's like probably the number one or number two most well known pro baller in my generation at least and then the liberty got two mvps plus courtney vandersloot and they also had john Paul mm-hmm. jones and brianna stewart to add to their great young core led by sabrina so like these two teams it's two out of 12 and they feel pretty loaded i just kind of curious as someone who follows the league pretty closely if you see this as a positive or a negative for the league as a whole i see it as a positive you know um I just I'm just saying we're we're kind of in our super team era, but we need another word for it because the WNBA, every team is a super team. When you really break it down and you see how limited spots, it's only 12 teams, 144 players if every team keeps those 12 spots. So 
all of these women are really, really good. Even if they're not a starter, they're coming off the bench. They will take anybody to the basket. Like they are very, very good. So these teams, the Aces and the Liberty are something else. They are a super, super, super team. The Avengers, I don't even know what we can call them, but the Liberty and the Aces, all of those games need to be on television. All of those games are going to bring more fans because they are notable faces, notable names. I hope there's hype around every matchup, especially if they get to the finals or they meet in the playoffs. Like that's the momentum and the the storylines that the WNBA consistently needs to be able to grow. Now, last season, I got really excited because I felt like there was a lot of parity. There wasn't a huge drop-off as years passed, where it was seem kind of a haves and a haves-nots in the 12 teams. Now we're kind of inching back into that, but I think it's a different, it's a different aura around it. it. It's these super teams that have kind of decided that they all want to play together, that they want to um do this for the betterment of the league. When you hear Brianna Stewart talk about why she chose New York Liberty, she said, okay, it's one it's one of the biggest markets in the WNBA. It's my home state. Um, I get this opportunity to play with, you know, these other MVPs and Courtney Vandersloot, who's one of the best point guards ever. Sabrina Inescu, who is a superstar in her own right. You have Benajah Laney, who just won most improved player. So we can go on and on and on for everyone in the seafoam green. Then you have the aces who are the reigning champions and have really been able to say, even without Candace Parker, that is a super team. Like you have Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum, Jackie Young, Asia Wilson, who won MVP and defensive player of the year. Candace Parker went to them to say, Hey, I'm, I'm at the close of retirement. I just want to kind of ride these coattails Whatever you need me to do, I'll do, but I'm not the superstar in this team. And she wanted that role now in this this point of her career. Brianna Stewart wanted to play out, you know, the rest of Sue Bird's career in Seattle. She she admitted to that. But now we have this free agency where people, you know, it, it is a player empowerment league, just like the NBA. And now players are wanting to be on these super teams and make sure that they are getting a ring and making a run for it. But it's so good for the league because new fans are going to come when everybody is talking about the the Liberty and Aces game that's on ESPN. W- what channel is it on? Who's playing? Candace Parker's on this team? She's going against Brianna Stewart? Like all of that chatter is so good for growing this league and growing more fans. I think that's a great answer. And I hate to actually bring it right back to the Warriors, but I remember – in 2017, uh, the first year they had Kevin Durant when they're playing against the Cavaliers in the finals, there was a LeBron press conference at some point in the middle of the finals. And I think someone asked him about if he thought it was fair that Kevin Durant was on the Warriors. And he gave a really good answer. And he's like, is it fair? He's like, I don't know. I don't care. He's like, it's great for the league. The ratings have gone up and just explained how, uh, sure, maybe adding one of the best players in the league to a 73-win team probably, you know, tip the scale a little bit too far in one direction, but uh, he did own up to it by saying what it did for the league. And I think that when you kind of take that same philosophy to the WNBA, it's like, sure, there might not be, uh, I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of people who look like me and who are my age, who are going to pay attention to zero out of 12 teams in the WNBA. So if you can just get it to paying attention to two out of 12 teams and you don't even have to know, uh, who the Minnesota Lynx or Atlanta Dream or Indiana Fever are as teams, but you know who the New York Liberty are and the Las Vegas Aces, that's still something and that's still growth. And uh, that's not to like put a diss on the other teams by any means, but I think that when you just talk about national headlines, big splashes, product that fans are going to eat up, I'm right there with you that having two teams that uh, theoretically should be the finals matchup, it's a good, it's a good thing. So it it is. And I'm I'm hoping, you know, just based off of what you said, I hope it's a gateway into getting to know the Minnesota Lynx and the Atlanta Dreams and the Indiana Fevers because all of these players are really, really good. And I, I I've always said, even when I was hosting, you know, the Spencers podcast, which was a predominantly NBA podcast, I'm like, your favorite hooper 
is probably on the fever or they're probably on, you know, another team. I just want you to be able to get that gateway into watching and then you're going to turn into a fan and then you're going to get to know these players and then you're going to find your favorite player and your favorite team. If this super team matchup is your introduction to the WNBA, that is amazing. I don't want you to stop there though. I want you to keep going and keep watching because there's this league has so much to offer. I feel like you're my coach right now who's just motivating me <laughs> to keep going. I'm so. motivating you. You got to watch it. Yeah, listen to Jordan, everybody. You do not have to listen to me at all. I always point the wrong way. The StreamYard uh, camera has me. Just... Anyway, listen listen to Jordan. Uh, <laughs> so aside from those two, uh, do you feel like there are other teams or pairings of teammates or maybe a particular player or really just anything else that you would say you're really pumped about come tomorrow and the uh, the few months that follow after that? Yeah, I would say, you know, one thing I'm super, super excited about, you know, I'm going to be there in person for the Sparks and Phoenix Mercury game tomorrow night. And Brittany Griner is back playing basketball like she is home and playing with her teammates and with her wife and happy. And that was just my dream all of last year. Um, so to be able to see her doing what she loves and, and playing basketball again is something that I am so excited about. Me and Cheryl Swoops talked about this on our podcast, but there is zero pressure from Brittany Griner to come and be you know, last time she was on the court was the finals. Like, we are not expecting her to be at that level right now. We're not expecting her to be at championship level, Brittany Griner. We just want her to be Brittany. We want her to be BG and just have fun out there. And I hope all of us, it feels like it, just as a community, we are all just lifting her up, hugging her, and just happy that she's going to be on the court. So to be in Crypto.com Arena I hope she gets a standing ovation. Everybody is just so proud to have her home. So that's one another thing I'm looking forward to. And then I would say the the youth, like the youngins coming in, I am so excited. Just building off of Ryan Howard and the Atlanta Dream who won Rookie of the Year last season. Atlanta Dream got Haley Jones and I was, you know, a Pac-12 host. So she was at Stanford. I have a particular uh, section in my heart for her. Um, but the Atlanta dream is going to be really, really good. I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. And then the Washington Mystics. I, I think a lot, not enough people are talking about this team, especially because defense wins championships. I think they have a healthy Atlanta Deladon. We mentioned Natasha Cloud. They took our Brittany Sykes from my sparks, but they are going to make some noise. So I would definitely look out for them. And uh, yeah, I, I could say everything and everybody I'm excited about, but those are kind of my my top three. All right. Yeah. A few thoughts off of that, because that's a great answer. Uh, first of all, the phrase that you used a few moments ago, player empowerment league, just that was demonstrated perfectly by uh, the way that they really were speaking up about Brittany Griner all of last season. And the WNBA deserves a huge shout out for uh, the way that, community just really galvanized and a league that people sometimes laugh at or ignore played a major part in getting her home. So that's going to be great yeah. to see her and really, really cool that you're going to that game, by the way, um, get to experience that moment in person and a good crowd. So love that. Uh, Washington mystics, man, like that is the team that I wish was in the Bay area. Like that's the team I <laughs> wish I could just snatch for myself because we already talked about Natasha cloud Elena Deladon is like KD and my other favorite mystic Shakira Austin had an yes. awesome rookie year. So yeah, big fan of their energy. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to start having to use the phrase big EDD energy. Uh, <laughs> yes. I yeah. love it. EDD yeah, we'll was see. my first uh, draft pick in my fantasy league because I, I think she's just out for blood this year. I really, really do. This is the first time she's been healthy since 2018 really 2017 um they, they won the championship in 2019 but she had a herniated disc like she was not healthy at all she had a mask on she was broken by the time they won that championship so for her to feel good she had to rest this offseason i 
she is like KD. It's it's scary when she gets going. So I'm excited. You know, and they play the Liberty about... tomorrow. They play the Liberty yeah. opening day. No, that's that's like the high profile game. I was just looking at the schedule uh, a few moments before we recorded. So mm-hmm. uh, no, that's going to be a good one. And it's funny you talk about the fantasy league because I had the last pick in a eight team league, and I was able to get her in that first back to back. So. I wow pretty, yeah i was like okay fine i got her and arike so that's a nice segue into my other team uh i'm a big fan of the dallas wings like yeah they were growing last year i know they lost marina mabry who i kind of liked her feistiness like mm-hmm. i was like oh whoa i didn't realize she would get so angry and i respected oh, yeah. that um but yeah diamond shields talk about someone that has had to work their way back from injury like that's a pretty big deal and uh i think just that's going to be a fun team that Maybe not in that like upper upper tier of those first two, but I think that's a surefire playoff team that's gonna be a fun one to watch as well. Yeah, they're gonna be kind of I, I see them hovering in the middle, but it's going to build from last year, definitely. They they did lose some pieces, but they have some other pieces that are growing into their own. And Tierra McCowan is is one of those pieces for me. She came from the fever, was was putting up numbers, but it wasn't until she got to Dallas last year that she really started to come into her own, be a defensive shot blocker, a, a huge commanding presence in the paint. And that's what they need, especially when they go up against, you know, all the other great bigs in the rest of the league. So you have Arike, who's a bucket. You already know what Arike is going to do. You you lose the fight in Marina Mabry because if I was going to battle, I'm calling Marina Mabry. I'm saying, I can't fight myself. Marina, can you come fight these people for me? She would be there in a second. And you have Satu Sabli, who is somebody that has kind of struggled from injury and, and hasn't really had a full season yet. She had a great showing at Oregon. Um, she had a great showing overseas. So now it's like we're ready to see what she can fully do in the WNBA Hopefully she can stay healthy because that's the difference in this team. Diamond DeShields did just announce that she is injured again, so she's going to be missing a, a good portion of this first start of the season. But they have Maggie Seagrass. Like, they have some youth. They had a lot of draft picks in this draft. So hopefully that youth can kind of start building around this new coach that they have and Coach Trammell. So a lot of good things in Dallas. I don't think this season they're going to break through, but like give it one more year, maybe even two, and they're going to be at the top of this league. So a lot to be excited about in Dallas. Certainly trending in the right direction. Uh, yes. I got a couple of weird abstract ones for you while I got you on the show. But one thing that I've discussed with some people, but I feel like nobody as uh, accomplished an expert as you is if the WNBA were to expand, and I've been saying I want 16 teams instead of 12 because that's a nice round number, <laughs> what markets would you want to see at a new team? Well, we just had a preseason game in Toronto, and Toronto showed out. 20,000 fans, sold out arena, merch sold out. Like Toronto showed that they want a WNBA team. And I think something that really touched me was the commentators you know, play-by-play and analysts that were on the call, they were saying, you know, we grew up playing basketball here in Toronto, but we only had the Raptors to see in person. Like there are so many young girls in the audience right now that are able to see physically with their eyes the the talent that is the WNBA. So that's what we want to bring to so many markets. So Toronto, definitely, they've shown that they can show out. So that's one um, I see the Bay Area. Alana Beard is working so hard, and Damian Lillard's mom is actually a, a part of that ownership group that is trying to bring a WNBA team to the Bay Area. I, I have family from the Bay. I'm originally from Sacramento, and the Bay is such a great, great area for women's basketball. They already have like a semi-pro, pro-am league in the Bay that a lot of my friends and people even from L.A., travel up to go play in so they have the the community there and if you put it at chase center like come on that would just be a a no-brainer to me so they are working tirelessly for that and then the number three city that is anytime i do a podcast is thrown at me is philly 
Philly wants their WNBA team. And I, I think it's funny because if you just combine all of the players that are from Philly and you just put them on that team, they would take anybody. I If you have Dawn Staley as that coach, you have Kalia Copper, you have Brianna Stewart who played for the Philly Bells, Brittany Sykes, like that is a solid, solid team. I think a lot of players would want to go play there. You think you're talking about free agency. I think that's a city that people would want to be rooted in. And then selfishly, I have to throw Sacramento in there. Bring back my Sacramento Monarchs. I absolutely was so, so happy to grow up in a, a city that had a WNBA team. And I still have my Tisha Pinatero jersey from when I was nine. Like, Growing up in that environment and being able to watch the Monarchs win a championship has made an impacting impression on my life. This is why I cover the WNBA now. So I feel like other young girls in Sacramento deserve that chance too. So those are those are my top cities, but I think if we get them anywhere, I just want to make sure that we expand because there are too many players being left off that, uh, you know, Neka Agumake just tweeted the other day. She said there's an entire league of players training at home. Like there are so many good players that are trying to buy in for these 144 spots. So we just need to expand. But those would be my cities that I would pick. I like it. Well, I'm recording from Davis right now. So uh, Kings fans were all around me this last year and they're awesome. I'm glad they got to experience a playoff series, even if it didn't and the way they wanted in the end. But uh, yeah, I mean, the fans were just killers. So add a WNBA team to Sacramento, absolutely no complaints. Philly is a new one that I've heard, and I could totally get behind that. Uh, the one that you didn't bring up that I've kind of teetered around with, and I think my dad was actually uh, the first one to bring this up with me, but because of the history and the college front, Somewhere in Tennessee might not be bad either because of the whole history with Pat Summit. You got a bunch of great college players. So that's another option of just expanding around the country. But bottom yeah. line is uh, the thing we can't agree on is that more teams are needed in store. And I don't think that's a hot take whatsoever. Not at all. And I'm hoping that, you know, um, I I've been really frustrated and I've been very outspoken about the commissioner, Kathy Engelbert, not really giving clarity around the expansion. She's being very fearful and, and very close to the chest because it is a business decision. And we understand that this league is a business, but there's also a really big desire and you are growing at a rapid rate you do not want to stop this momentum by having all of this negative talk around players being waived and the expansion not happening um but i hope that we can figure it out and i hope with the new nba cba that players can invest in WNBA teams it it opens so many doors you know there are stipulations if if you are you know, playing for the LA Lakers, you can't invest in the Sparks or, or something like that. It has to be the teams that aren't in conjunction with an NBA team. But I I'm hoping that those all of those opportunities can um, branch off into expansion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another topic that I want to bring up because it's going to be really relevant to the next summer is tanking because Caitlin Clark is going to be available, probably the number one pick because she's freaking electric. Yeah. And we just saw the Spurs get the number one pick a couple of days ago, and they're going to get Victor Wembanyama, and it's a big, big deal. Do you feel like tanking might be an issue that we see at the end of the summer compared to some past years because of the prospects that are coming up? You know... It's going to be tricky because all those players are, you know, Caitlin Clark specifically, and you have a Paige Beckers that could be a part of that. You have a Cameron Brink that's going to be in that draft. The list goes on and on. Um, they still have their COVID year, so they could still take their COVID year, and then you just tanked, and now who knows, you know, who who's going to be in the draft next year. 
Um, I think we're going to see a little bit more gamesmanship and, and chess play around that because everybody is focused on that. I mean, we all watched the final four, which I'm so excited that we all watched it, but I think that, um, that can only help the WNBA, but I'm hoping by that time there are more teams because you look at just this past draft top four picks in the last two drafts are have been waived or are after the top five pick it's not guaranteed that you're going to make a team top 10 pick it's not guaranteed that you're going to make a team so if you have this huge draft and all this buzz because caitlin clark is going to continue to get all this buzz and then you have this complete downfall of all these players that have to get waived because still expansion hasn't happened by 2025 say she does take that COVID year and it's 2025 I would hope that she is getting drafted to a brand new team and she can be able to be their franchise player that is my hope because you have the example of Asia Wilson when the San Antonio Silver Stars moved to Las Vegas she was able to be that number one draft pick for the Aces and now she is it she is the poster child for the Aces. Like she wants to stay there. When you think of the Aces, you think of Asia Wilson. And I would think that would be perfect if Caitlin Clark was able to do that for an expansion team. And you, it's not even about tanking. It, it's about how can we build completely on this momentum of Caitlin Clark? How can we put a whole franchise around her because she's that good and that important to the growth of women's basketball? So that is my hope, and I hope that Kathy is thinking about that too. <laughs> Kathy, if you're listening, I, I think that's a pretty good <laughs> argument. I, I'm just just going to throw that out there. So, yeah, no, that's a, that's a good angle and a really good answer. So, uh, well, look, I mean, you've been awesome this whole show, and I don't want to hold you forever, although I, I, I am happy to provide a little distraction while you count down the hours heading into the next <laughs> season. But uh, – I can't let you go without unhashing the type one because this is like the only episode we've recorded where if I just start like checking the pump or something, new sensor today, pretty good. Okay, um, nice. Yeah, I don't have to like explain myself over and over, <laughs> which is great. But you were diagnosed around a similar age to where I'm at right now. I was mm -hmm. diagnosed all the way back at six. So it's been a really different experience learning the disease, managing it. But you've had a great career, and uh, it's really cool to see what you've done out in the real world. So just tell me a little bit about what that journey has been like for you and how you just kind of manage it on the day-to-day -day while continuing to work in sports, which we all know is a freaking whirlwind. Yes, it is. Oh, man. No, I think that's my favorite part of being able to talk to other T1Ds because I'm like, I got my fruit snacks here. You're not going <laughs> to – if you hear some beeping or alarms, like – we know. Um, yeah, I, I got diagnosed at 23. And, um, you know, we, I've talked about it on, on many uh, podcasts or, or things like that. Of I probably had it earlier, but I was playing basketball in college at a very high level. So playing and exercising six times a week probably submerged some of those symptoms. But as soon as I stopped playing, I got very, very sick. Um, and it's it, it was a big shock because I had 23 years of life where I was a completely different person. And now I'm 29, almost 30. And it's like a whole new life. Like, I feel like I am six years old of a type one diabetic, you know, trying to relearn just how to do everything. I, I haven't been able to play basketball the same way. It's, somebody's knocking off my Dexcom or my sensor. Um, so I'm having to have extra patches on it because I sweat. There's, there's so many things that diabetics have to think about. And, um, you know, I just recently got on an insulin pump and that has helped just clear my mind of, of trying to carb count and do all those things. But what I learned recently that has been kind of a shock to me is that, you know, I've been doing more live television and on camera, and I had never done that before. I was typically a writer or podcasting was a very, you know, controlled environment. So live TV, when right before you go on live, my anxiety or my heart would start pumping and therefore my blood sugar would rise even though I didn't eat anything. So I would be spiking at over 250 right before I go on camera and I would not 
want to take insulin for it because I'm like, well, I didn't eat anything. So I'm just going to drop right after the cameras go off and having to kind of balance that roller coaster of live television, being on camera, feeling my alerts go off because I know that they're saying, hello, you are high right now. Your blood sugar is very high, but I didn't eat anything. I'm just going on camera. I swear it'll be back to normal in an hour. So getting an insulin pump has really um, been beneficial in helping kind of monitor that. And I'm all I'm a nervous person, so I'm always going to get nervous. But it was a shocker to me that my blood sugar follows that nerves. It, it feels like you are working out or in this high pressure situation. Um, so that's been kind of interesting to to figure out. But yeah, it's it's with me for life. So we're figuring it out as we go. <laughs> well. I mean, you're doing a great job. I love the answer. And the thing I always tell other people and been lucky to meet a whole bunch of awesome diabetics throughout my life is just that uh, like people on the outside will always ask you, oh, like, do you kind of get used to it and figure it out? And you kind of it's a weird question because it's like, well, an emergency could happen at any time. But yeah, I guess years of experience is always the best learner. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, you started it in adulthood and have had to just learn on the fly and and roll with it and deal with crazy variables like live television. That's not a normal (laughs) human thing that we all do. You were playing basketball while probably having the onset symptoms, which I just can't imagine exactly how that goes. So uh, (laughs) always, always really cool to hear somebody's story. And uh, and look, I wish we could talk for like six hours about type one basketball, uh, all the rule changes that stink and how they need to be amended and, and all that sort of thing. But, uh, but listen, this was, uh, this was great. I'm really thankful for your time and, uh, please, please check out Queens of the court for anyone listening or watching this episode. Yes. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Absolutely. I mean, we'll have to do it again, uh, as the season heats up and, People are like, what do I do with my time during summer? You come right back to us. That's what you do. Yeah. Watch the W. She is a motivator. And I (laughs) know I still still haven't learned how to point, but I'll figure it out one day. (laughs) Anyway, all that aside, thank you for listening. As always, please rate, share, subscribe, retweet, whatever it is that all you people do with your technology and uh, however much energy you're willing to put into it. But I love hitting that five-star button. It's really fun. And you can leave individual replies to episodes on Spotify. So if you don't like me, but you're a huge fan of Jordan, (laughs) well, that's the perfect time for it, isn't it? I mean, you could follow her on Twitter at underscore Jordan Liggins. That's L-I-G-O-N-S. And then you can follow me at Grego Silver as always. Thank you. And to conclude every episode, I will give you with a very encouraging but loving Keep Screaming. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.